Good morning. Good morning. Waking with the Stop. word. the day in the word. Give yourself a shake and grab yourself a coffee. And a cup of tea. Waking, Waking with the word. Good morning. Welcome to Waking with the Word. We are in our series, Finding the Kingdom of Heaven After Easter. We've spoken about Peter, we've spoken about John, and we've spoken a little bit about Mary. I want to talk about the angels now. These poor guys, they seem to have quite a mission, don't they? Whenever the chips are down, whenever life has been broken, whenever humans are sad, throughout the whole word of God, it seems that God sends an angel, an angel with a message. Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible says do not sing songs to a sad heart. When I have been crushed, when I have been broken, when I have found that life is almost destroyed, the last thing I want, I feel I need or expect, is an angel to turn up and give me some good news. But all through the word of God, God either sends an angel or another human being to bring good news into terrible circumstances. When people of God are holding on, wanting life a certain way, he comes along to say, very often, no, it may not be the way you want it to be, it will be the way I want it to be, but that way is going to be good. And you may have to walk through terrible, terrible trials, first of all, but in the end, I will bring you to the promised land. Let's go right back, right back to the time of Joseph. There was a famine. Joseph had to be betrayed. He had to be hurt and damaged and imprisoned to lead him to the place where he was second in command to Pharaoh. Right at that point, God's timing was a famine. All of it had been done so that for such a time as this, Joseph was right there, able to save his family. But what did it mean for Joseph? Joseph had to forgive. Joseph had to forgive people who had absolutely destroyed his life and Joseph was used to save those very people. To give them more than just food, but a home, protection and a place to live. Now, if you know the story, these very people become prisoners. They become prisoners in that land. They become slaves. Over the generations, people forget who Joseph is. They forget what these Israelites are even doing in the Egyptian land. And they make the Egyptians their slaves. So now, they're there. They need a deliverer. There's many of them, but they're being controlled. Pharaoh starts not giving them enough straw, but demanding even more bricks. And God sends a deliverer. He sends a message through Moses. And the message is, I am going to deliver you. Looking around, they could not see how God could do that. Sometimes we get a message from God, maybe a message from the word of God. And we begin to think, well, that can't be true. It's a load of rubbish. I don't see God doing it. Look at the situation I'm in. Notice with the plagues, God did it bit by bit for two reasons. He was giving the Egyptians the chance to acknowledge that he was God, that he was greater than them and that he had sent this message. But he was also giving the Israelites the chance to acknowledge that he was God, he was greater than them and he had sent this message. For the Egyptians, it meant God wanted them to obey. For the Israelites, it meant God wanted them to obey. Both people should have expectation when God comes along that he is sending a message that it is for the good of all people involved and that he wants to prosper us. Pharaoh could not give up control. Pharaoh wanted those people there. Of course he did. They were building his whole nation for him. 
the Israelites found it hard to give up despondency and despair. They couldn't see that this word could be from God. So God showed them time and again, I can do what I say I am about to do and what I'm going to do. Sadly, we read that the Israelites didn't really learn this faith or acknowledge that this was true of God deep down inside because every tribulation and trial they came to on the way to the promised land and the way through the promised land, it appears they grumbled. They get to the Red Sea. Now, do not get me wrong. If I was at the Red Sea, I'd be petrified as well. The enemy is right behind me. He will not let me go. He is chasing me. I am being taunted by him. And here I am at the Red Sea and it looks like, although I've made this grand gesture, this big adventure, this big thing is going to happen, all of a sudden it looks like there's no way that it will happen. Sometimes I wonder, did they see the cloud and the fire that surrounded them and protected them? Did they think that Pharaoh really was God, as the Egyptians thought he was? We have to remember that Pharaoh was set up as a god in Egypt. So this was a different god chasing them. And the god they could not see had promised through Moses that he would lead them through the water. Could this invisible god, the god of their fathers, genuinely be greater than God who is Pharaoh, who had kept them in captivity? When my father got cancer, I was petrified. Before I knew it was really cancer, I went into my father's study. I said, Dad, what if it's cancer? He said, God is greater than cancer, honey. And I have found out that God is greater than every single tribulation and trial in my entire life. And I'm getting older now. Our God is bigger and greater than every fear that we have. Our God is bigger and greater than every distress that we experience. And in the word of God, the pattern is that when we are in distress, he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. But so very often, we need him to show us so we can experience who he really is. It's important that we count up the little things he does. Now, don't get me wrong, the plagues were not little things, they were big things. But they weren't enough to bring the Israelites to the place where they knew that God could overthrow Pharaoh and that when God said he would do something, he would genuinely do it. God uses the most unexpected characters, doesn't he? Moses had ran away from Egypt. He'd murdered someone and he didn't want to go back. God tells him to go back. Moses argues with God. God tells him to go back. Then we have Gideon. I'm sure you've heard it said before that Gideon was a coward. He was hiding when the angel appeared to him and said, oh, you mighty warrior. Going back to angels, I wonder how they feel. I wonder what they think when they have to come into our human circumstances and tell us something that seems completely contrary to what they're seeing on earth. These beings must have complete and utter assurance of who God is and what God can do. Of course, they live very close to God's throne, many of them. They know that their God is greater, their God is bigger, their God is completely in control. And when he speaks the power that comes from his word, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can stop. So they come into these circumstances and they say, he's not here, he's risen. 
They come to Gideon and they say, oh you, mighty warrior, even though you're hiding in a wine press. Esther, Esther was really not expected to be the queen. She wasn't expected to go into the king. And it was most expected that many people that went into the king were murdered for presuming that they could enter. But for such a time as this, the Bible says, God put Esther in to the palace to speak to the king at a time when the king, through deceit from Mordecai, was going to kill all of the Israelites. What did Esther have to go through? Esther had to go through the pain of being captured, taken into the temple and made the king's wife by force. Many of the characters that God uses in the Bible have to go through pain like Joseph, have to go through fear like Gideon, have to go through embarrassment like Moses, to come to the point where God uses them in a very great way. In using them in a great way, he makes them a great character, someone to be remembered. But the hardship they go through is extremely real. I've often said that for God to do something supernatural on earth, the natural must get stretched. And it really does get stretched. But the end result, and walking with God through it all, is the most incredible experience that any human being could ever have. King David was another unexpected character. A young boy comes when all of the Israelites are surrounding Israel with a sling and five stones. King David was another unexpected character. A young boy, 16 years old, around about that age, comes to Goliath. The Israelites have surrounded Israel. Israel is absolutely petrified. And here comes this young boy with cheeses. He walks out into the field, throws a stone at the big giant and the giant falls. King David had to go through the fear of facing a massive big opponent. Now we know that he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord my God, and he doesn't seem to be frightened at all. But in his humanity, there must have been a feeling of intimidation. There must have been. Pastor John Pipe, who was one of the ministers in our work years ago, preached a sermon that has never left me. He said, when you have a big target to hit, how can God miss? And he was talking about David and Goliath. You see, the confidence that King David had in God was greater than the human feelings that King David had at that point. Let me say it again. The confidence that David had in God was greater than the human feelings that King David had on earth. And one more time, the confidence that David had in, on, in God was greater than the feelings that David had of earth. Angels are the same. Angels can see the circumstances, they can see the situations, but they also know without a shadow of a doubt who God is, what God can do and what God's heart is. Yesterday in our series, I spoke about agape love. Agape love means preferring love. God has preferred me to my sin. He's preferred me to my judgment. He's preferred me to live and know him rather than to allow anything to stand in the way. God preferred Peter. He preferred to keep his relationship with Peter 
and to bring Peter into wholeness and restoration after the resurrection than to hold against Peter that Peter denied him three times. This is why he asks Peter three times, do you agape me? Jesus was asking Peter, do you now prefer me? Do you now prefer your confidence in me, what I can do over your feelings and emotions and other people's opinions? All of the characters that I spoke about today, and many of them in scripture, had to come to the point where they agapeed, where they preferred loving God than listening to man, than looking at the circumstance or their own feelings and emotions. And walking with God, we all come to this point. I could talk about many more people in the word of God who had to come to this point and how they came to it through the hardships and the tribulations and the awful feelings and the terrible looking circumstances. But I don't have time today. So I want to talk a little bit more about the angels. Angels have been sent into awful circumstances but always with a message of hope from God. Angels were sent to sing over a tiny little animal shed that we call a stable. Now we believe this was actually part of a poor person's house. One side was for the animals and the other side was for the humans. And the angels sang over that shed. Angels have been sent to do very degrading missions. I mean, can you imagine being in heaven and being asked to go to a man called Gideon who's hiding in a wine press from all of the enemy and ironically call him the mightiest warrior. Would you want to go? Would you not feel absolutely stupid? Angels were sent into the tomb where Jesus had been buried to tell people who were not going to really believe them that the body had not been stolen but that he had risen from the dead. Now these people had seen him murdered and killed. If I was that angel, perhaps I would say to God, all right, I'll go, but give me evidence to show them. Let Jesus appear to them. They're not going to believe me. I'm going to look stupid. All along, even in the days of Noah, God has wanted us to have confidence in him because his word is true, because his character is sure, because he never ever lets us down. But finding God after Easter is often about believing what God has said, trusting his word. When we hear God's word personally for us in any situation, even a hopeless one, it produces persuasion. The word faith in the Bible is actually translated as persuasion. And it's an inner deep persuasion that I cannot give to you, only God can give it to you. Then you can stand in the face of any circumstance and any situation and knowingly and assuredly and absolutely confidently say, it will be this way, for God has said it, even when it looks the other way. You can stand in front of other people's opinions and say, no, no, this is what the truth is because my God has told me. This is part of being certain of who God is and loving him more than all the other things that we experience and that we discern with our earthly bodies and our earthly minds and our earthly hearts. Knowing God is the most incredible experience that we can ever have. The disciples were told to wait. Jesus said, go into the upper room and wait. What were they waiting for? 
They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for the power of God. They were waiting for the presence of life itself to come and live within them, to quicken and wake up their spirits, to give them that assurance, that confidence, so that they could speak out the word of God, so that they could stand in the face of opposition, so that they could hope in hopeless situations, for he is with them. You and me, we may have to go through, and we will have to go through, trials and tribulations. We will have to go through the knocking down of our human flesh and how we discern what we are going to decide in life. We will need to get to grips to fully knowing and being assured of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We will need to look with different eyes and listen with different ears. But God is bringing us to the place of complete confidence in him. And at those times when the chips are down and life seems destroyed, he will send a message. Maybe through an angel, maybe through scripture, and maybe just the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And that word will not always look as if it fits the circumstance or the situation. And very many times it may seem absolutely impossible. But at those moments, remember the angels. Remember, they have been sent into many a situation that looked one way to proclaim, no, it will be another way. And you know what? Not one of their words has ever not come true because God's word does not return to him void. I challenge you after Easter, as we are finding the kingdom of God together, to start each day asking God for his word. What do you want, Lord? What do you think, Lord? And prefer him and agape him, love him, seek him, and let's wait. Let's wait just like the disciples did for the Holy Spirit to come in a new way, in an overpowering way, and to take us deeper, more fuller into our relationship and our confidence in God. I'll speak to you tomorrow. God bless. If you need a friend, if you need an ear, if you need us just to be here, if you want us to pray for you, hit the message button on Facebook, on Anchor, on Twitter, on Instagram, or email us info at comebacktogod.org. Our team meet every morning at nine o'clock. We will pray for you. We are there throughout the day and the night to listen if you need a friend. Give us a call, send us a message. If you'd like to support our work, email info at comebacktogod.org because we are always looking for prayer partners and those who would like to financially give so that we can all support one another in the kingdom of heaven. God bless.